0: The song of the redeemed Rising from the African plains It's the song of the forgiven Drowning out the Amazon rain The song of Asian believers Filled with God's holy fire It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful choir. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns. Let it rise above the full winds, caught up in the heavenly sound Let it go from the towers of cathedrals to the faithful gathered underground Of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation, some were meant to persist Of all the bells rung from a thousand steeples, none rings truer than this. It's all God's children singing, Glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns. It's all God's children singing. It's all god's children singing glory glory hallelujah he reigns it's all god's children singing glory glory hallelujah he reigns and all the powers of darkness tremble at what they just heard Because all the powers of darkness can't drown out a single word. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns. It's all God's people singing Glory, Glory, Hallelujah, He reigns It's all God's people singing Glory, Glory, Hallelujah, He reigns It's all God's people singing Glory, Glory, Hallelujah, He reigns so God's people sing glory, glory. Hallelujah, He reigns. Morning. You may all be seated.
1: Good morning again. I'm John R. West. Just a few quick announcements. Um, men's group is starting back up on Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Um, in. No breakfast yet. Things are, are moving, you know, in the right direction, but not there quite yet. Life groups are also starting back up. And if you're currently in a, a life group, your leader will be uh, getting hold of you soon with details. And um, if you'd like to join one, uh, please let um, someone here in the church know, uh, any any of the uh, elders or, uh, or pastor. And um, youth group tonight at 530. And please see Travis for the location. That's kind of a rotating location. This is Travis. (coughs) So there's a lot of changes, you know, with our things still going on with with corona. And I just read about one that's going to be affecting you, Travis, that you need to prepare for. Yes, because this, yes, data is showing that all this may be leading to another baby boom, which, yeah, (laughs) which means in 2030, starting 2033, He's going to be dealing with a whole slew of quarantines. quarantines. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, finally, communion next Sunday. and uh, we will be also the the church has purchased um, communion supplies that are going to be sealed, so please uh, don't hesitate, don't not come because of that. Uh, it's all going to be safe and kosher. All right. That's all we have. Um, let's stand and continue worship.
0: <laughs> have you been to Jesus? the cleansing power are you washed in the blood of lamb are you fully trusting in his grace this hour are you washed in the blood of lamb are you washed in the blood in the the soul soul cleansing cleansing blood of lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the Crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you, are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing soul blood of, Lamb? of the Lamb? Are your garments in spotless? Are they white as, as snow? Are you washed in, in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansions bright and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the 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 soul-cleansing blood of of the Lamb? Are Are your garments spotless? Are Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you all washed in the blood? In the the soul soul, cleansing blood blood of of the Lamb. Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together one. So highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. So here I am to. I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, altogether worthy, all together wonderful to me and down there. How much it cost To see my sin Upon that cross And I'll never know How much it cost To see my sin Upon that cross And I'll never know How much it cost to see my sin upon that cross and I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. And I'll never know how much it costs. To see my sin upon that cross. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son on a cross to pay the penalty and to be the ultimate atonement sacrifice for sin for all of us, from the people all the way in the past before you and even the people here today and beyond. And I pray that we would ever keep that present on our mind of what you did and who you are, and the ultimate payment that you paid for us, Father, and how uh, great your love is in in light of that. And we love you, Lord, and uh, we praise you and bless Shane's message this morning. Amen.
2: You know, when we blocked off
3: these front three rows for the wedding, I didn't think it would stick. (laughs) But like nobody sat in them since. You guys do understand how this works, right, in church? Those of you that are comfortable with being at church, you're supposed to sit up here so we leave the spots in the back. Okay. Oh, man. Well, it is good to see you guys. Uh... It is good to be here, and uh, it is good to have a, the privilege of being in the Word. How many of you guys have found that life right now is a little distracting? We can raise our hands to that one. That one's a safe one to raise your hand to. Between everything that's going on in the world and, and, and our country and our, and our space, and then, and then you add on top of that all the personal life issues that we have, um, it is particularly distracting, I think, at times, and it's easy for us to be very discouraged, and get our eyes off of what's important. Um, and it's very interesting in our text this morning as we're looking at Jesus telling a parable, confronting the Pharisees on the, the, the amount of uh, uh, failure and, and, and how far off they are from being focused on what is important and what God had called them to do. Um,
2: and surprisingly, they didn't like it. When he confronted him, right? Doesn't that shock you? I mean, how many of us don't like being confronted and redirected in our lives? Come on, you can be excited about that, right?
3: Uh, if, we're, if we're following in James, uh, the, the book of James as we've been going through it, it sure seems like... Um, If we understand the whole aspect of God bringing things into our lives for us to grow, we would look at confrontation from a brother or sister in the Lord and go, wow, that's awesome. Thank you for caring enough to come and talk to me about it. Even if they have the wrong attitude. Wouldn't that be awesome? Somebody confronts you and you're like, thank you so much for loving me enough to come and do this. Wouldn't that be cool? Imagine a church that treated one another that way. It would just be amazing. Well, as I was going through the parable this week and and we laid it out and you'll notice if if you have uh if you do uh, print up the notes, which we don't actually have them for you. I guess for those of you that are um watching us online, you can you can get them on the webpage and actually follow along. For those of you that are here, you'll just have to write them somewhere because you don't even have bulletins. So, um I have no idea what we'll do with that. But in my, my notes, they, they have some words on them. So, um, and I have space. But what's interesting is that as we go through this parable, the tendency is, at least as I was wrestling through it and I'm looking at all of this and I'm watching what Jesus is doing with the Pharisees, one of the very first things that happened was I was looking at it going, okay, well, where's the application for me? This is great, but how does it apply to me? Um, and we'll, we'll, I'll share that with you where, where I think the Lord really challenged my heart this week as we come to the end. Um, of the text this morning, because that's kind of where God began to really get a hold of my heart as we were going in there. Uh, this morning we're going to be in a number of Old Testament passages, so have your Bible's ready. Uh, if you haven't been in the Old Testament for a while, maybe open up to the index in the front of your Bible and refamiliarize yourself with where some of those books are, because we're going to be rolling around and, uh, in, in some of the Old Testament this morning. Turn with me first though, to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse one. And we're going to read this particular parable where Jesus confronts
2: the Pharisees, and they are not pleased. Mark chapter twelve, verse one. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard,
3: and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they
2: killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed, he had still one other, a beloved
3: son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told that, uh, the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Uh, the, very, the first thing, as, as I was running through this, uh, what I've broken it down into is uh, just a couple of key points. We're going to look at the different characters, the different players in this parable, because I think that is uh, where it tells the story, and it's part of what really grabs, uh, I think, the, the point and the purpose of the text this morning. Uh, Jesus, first of all, he introduces a man that's planting a vineyard and puts a fence around it and digs a pit for the wine press and builds a tower. And it's, uh, it's actually, um, when I first read it, I kind of thought, why is he focused on a vineyard? And so as I began to follow the text and, and go back to some of the cross-references, I found a few places in the Old Testament that actually reference this idea of a vineyard. And one of them, very interestingly enough, is Psalms chapter 80, verse 8. And we're going to just look at what the text
2: says about this vineyard. This is in Psalms, chapter 80, and just a verse 8. It says, you bought a vine,
3: or excuse me, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. And he continues on in there and explains more about what he did with his vine. But do you see the vine? He brought it out of Egypt. Who did, Jesus, or who did God bring out of Egypt? Israel. And what did he do? He established, he planted, he cleared the nations out before them, and he established them. Um, that's one of, one of the points, and there are several other passages in the Old Testament. But the, in this particular story, the vineyard represents the people of Israel, the nation that God has called out and chosen. And so when he begins the story, a man planted a vineyard and put up a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and he leased it to tenants and went into another country. He is describing the nation of Israel and how he established them and brought them out of Egypt, out of captivity, into a relationship with God. And establish them there. It's very interesting. Uh, it look, turn with me real quick to Isaiah chapter five. He's going to talk more about this vineyard here, but it's interesting how he describes it and where the the the, the uh, where Isaiah leaves off with what the Lord is telling him. The title of this particular passage, if you turn in your Bibles, most of your Bibles will have a title right above the the paragraph as it starts in chapter five, and it says "The Vineyard of the Lord Destroyed." So Isaiah is bringing the judgment against the vineyard of the Lord, the people of the Lord here. And this is what he says in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a
2: wine vat in it and he looked for it to, to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Did you see what Jesus said? A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for
3: winepress, built a tower, and leased it to tenants and went into another country. He intended for the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to understand who the vineyard was, and they got it. This was the nation of Israel. Isn't it interesting that in Isaiah, as he begins to bring the accusations against the nation of Israel, that he said he expected it to produce fruit and yet when he got there, even though he would set it up correctly and he'd done all the work, when he got there, there was wild grapes, not the grapes that had been planted. And so it was in that, set, in that setting, in that circumstance, that we actually see throughout Isaiah the judgment of the Lord. We're not going to follow, continue there. Um, we're going to continue in our passage, Mark, um, and look at who the tenants were, right? So we have the vineyard, which was the nation of Israel. Then you have the tenants what do they do? Well, they're put there to work the vineyard. Their job is to work the vineyard and at some point to bring fruit for the owner, and and he's expecting that. So he leaves them there, and when the time comes, he sends his servants in to to receive the fruit that was supposed to be worked. What happens to the tenants in his story?
2: They kind of began to think pretty highly of themselves, didn't they? In fact, it appears at one point that, that
3: they actually got to the, the, the place in their minds where they thought, if, if we can just do this right, we can own it and it'll all be ours.
2: Even to the point where they're killing the son of the owner of the land. Their job was to work the, the vineyard
3: and their job was to bear fruit for the owner. There was an expectation that there would be fruit in this process. Uh, Paul speaks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9, this idea that there is fruit to be bore, but it, it's really not the tenants that are doing that process. They were to work the, the land, but it wasn't theirs. They didn't own it. They didn't possess it. They didn't have a right to to, to keep the fruit. It wasn't theirs. It was the owner's, and he was intending it to to be used for His purposes. And it's interesting that when we think about um, fruit-bearing and those things in the church, I think we get distracted by this, and we actually at some point think that we're the ones doing it. Have you guys ever been really just frustrated that, that the gospel doesn't work like an aspirin? I mean, we think about how we, how we approach the gospel, Right? Uh, or or, or christian advice or something in that setting when somebody has a problem you apply a passage of scripture to it it should fix it It, it, i think that's how we think it's how it's how i sometimes feel it's like why doesn't this work in fact many times i'm frustrated with my own sin and my own attitudes as i look at scripture and say how am i not living this way How, how do i not respond more appropriately to this but Paul talks about this idea of bearing fruit for the owner, uh, and I, I, I just think it's a good reminder for us as we think about fruit, as we think about this parable, and the application to us as as we, as we move forward is who is it that brings the harvest? Who is it that, that this fruit or, or it, for the nation of Israel, who did they belong to? Um, and again, Paul's talking about the church, but I believe it is applicable to both. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos, what is Paul's servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I, I think that as we, as we, End the process. It'll, it'll make a little bit more sense, um, the connection between the fruit and God being the focus of this. But Israel was intended to be focused on God. Jesus is pointing out the Pharisees uh, and, and the scribes and the teachers of the law, their failure to keep God as the forefront, and, and that they actually became, began to think that they were the ones that were owning it, that owned it, and they, it was their possession to hold and control. And so when we see the tenants and, and the Pharisees' response at the end, we know that Jesus is referencing them as being the workers of the land that we're supposed to be preparing them.
2: Now, who are the servants? Some of you have read this. Who are the servants that were sent and beat and killed? Who, who do
3: the servants represent in this?
2: Prophets, yes, the prophets that
3: God sent, Right? And we have tons of, of Scripture. We're only going to look at a couple. Um, but the, the tenants, they would be, beat some of them, killed some of them. This was a specific uh, reference to Old Testament uh, uh, um, accusations that came through the Word of God to the nation of Israel and how they responded to God's Word over and over and over again. We'll, we'll look quickly at three this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven.
2: For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Anybody worried about being a Christian nowadays? Are are we worried about speaking the truth, standing for truth? I want to encourage it that the Word of God says that it's going to happen. It's the reality that we live in. Uh,
3: in fact, I would, I'm, I'm feeling convicted in my own heart that one of the reasons that we haven't faced much conviction or trials or persecution in the church is quite possibly because we have watered down the truth so much that it's no longer evident as truth.
2: And that's why it's so safe and comfortable for us even today in this country. That's a bummer. Here's, a, here's one for you, Nehemiah, chapter 9. It's right between Ezra and Esther. Does that help you? Nehemiah chapter 9, 26 says this Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebellious against you, and cast your law behind their back,
3: and killed your prophets, who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. This is the people of Israel rejecting the prophets of God, killing them. Disregarding them, and the last one is this: Jeremiah chapter thirty-seven, verse fifteen. Jeremiah is being asked to give the king counsel about the Babylonian. Uh, I think it's or this was the Chaldean army, um, was there, and 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 uh, the Babylonian army was coming, and Jeremiah is being asked to give counsel. To the King about what's going on and and he gives him the word of the Lord he gives them the truth, and they don't like it. they get mad at him and so this is what happens and the officials were enraged at Jeremiah and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made into a prison and if you continue to read in that text, they weren't feeding him, it gets to the point where the king wants to talk to him again and he pulls him out of there, but he's malnourished and he's very weak and he comes to the king and he pleads with him and, and and just says, you know, please don't send me back there. I'll tell you the truth, um, but just, they're going to kill me. If, if you know, I, I'm, I'm here to serve the Lord and to serve you and tell you the truth, but they're going to kill me if you don't do anything. And so the king secretly moves him and puts him in another place uh, to try and protect him, puts him in another prison where he's feeding him. And he gets a loaf of bread a day or something like that. It's amazing. So here's the people of Israel, they're, they're responding to the servants of the Lord, to the prophets of God who are being sent, and, and who are calling them out. In fact, um, if you go back and you read at the end of Judge, or uh, I believe it's the beginning of First Kings, it's it coming out of Judges, but, but God Himself says, I've sent you all these Judges, and, and they be, would behave during that time, but as soon as the Judges would, would die, the nation of Israel would return back to what they were doing, but it would normally be worse than what it was before. And so here's a nation of Israel who's constantly rejecting the word of the Lord, and these servants represent the prophets and those who God have sent, and, and this, these tenants are turning them away, rejecting them, beating them, killing them. And then the owner says, but I have one. I have one that they have to respect. He's my son. My beloved son. Why would they not respect my son? I own the vineyard. And the Owner says, surely they will respect him, and, and he sends his son, and instead the tenants do what? They reason in their minds, they reason to themselves that man, if we get rid of him, there will be no one left to inherit this, and we'll just we'll get it. We can have it. We can take possession and take ownership. What's interesting about this particular um, illustration or parable, it is. A, it's very, very similar to the sin of Ahab and Jezebel. I, I was thinking as I was reading through this, going, "What is that? Why are they thinking they can kill him and just take this particular vineyard? And 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 why is that? Why is that sticking in my head?" And and so I ran back to to actually, it's First Kings twenty one, which. It's one of the great times of despair for Israel is throughout all of these kings and, and the horrible rejection of the Lord. But it's very interesting what, what happens here to Naboth, who owns a vineyard, and, and Ahab really wants the vineyard. And he has vineyards. He's got plenty of vineyards. He has plenty of everything. But he wants this guy's vineyard, and Naboth will not sell it. And we pick up the story in, in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses eleven starting in verse 11. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, and as it was was written in the letter that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people, and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside of the city and stoned him to death with stones. They sent. To Jezebel, saying, Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, a Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not, is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. When you hear a story about Worthless men making a false accusation against somebody who's being set up and then quickly taken out and killed
2: with the, with the whole city getting involved. Who do you think of? Jesus, right? Isn't it amazing the similarity and
3: the betrayal of Christ that's demonstrated all the way back in 1 Kings, and then Jesus himself uses an illustration about tenants of a vineyard who are not happy with not having ownership, but they insist on it, and so they kill the people that are coming that represent the ownership to try and take possession of it. I believe that obviously, I, th- I think it's pretty obvious that the beloved son is that of Jesus himself. And he finishes that off by quoting uh, the, the the scripture of the cornerstone, the the. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The cornerstone, which was rejected and then and then given to others. And that's where we see in this text where, where Jesus is going and where this begins to really weigh on the Pharisees. Uh, so he's accusing them of being these people that are trying to wrongfully take the vineyard, uh, of killing and, and abusing the, the servants that are sent by the Lord. And then they don't even, I mean, I, can you imagine? They probably don't even understand what's the killing of the son. They haven't even gotten there yet. And Jesus is pointing this out, that this is what's coming, and and in their rage, they end up
2: fulfilling this story, this parable, as Jesus shared it. And so
3: ultimately, they have rejected the builder, and then the the amazing part of this response, the amazing part of the story, and, and I'm not sure if it is worse for for the for the Pharisees that it's being given to others but you actually see the story unfold about how it's going to be given away not to the Jews but to the Gentiles um and, and we see that the first reference to that is Matthew chapter 21 verse 43 It's actually in the same story it's Matthew's account of this parable and Jesus says this therefore Uh, Verse 43 of Matthew 21, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people
2: producing its fruit. You see the focus there? The kingdom of God will
3: be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The kingdom of God will be taken from them and given to a people bearing what? Its fruit, kingdom fruit. Who takes possession of the kingdom? A people who is bearing the fruit of the kingdom. The Jews, the Pharisees, were not bearing the fruit of the kingdom, and it was taken away from them. Look what Paul says in Acts chapter 13. Verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves
2: unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And he continues in Acts 28, verses
3: 26 through 28. He says this, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. This is, this is the um, prophecy out of Isaiah. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So here's Israel. Here's the nation of of Israel, the prophets and the scribes. And Jesus is telling them a parable where the owner sets up tenants who are to care for the vine, and because of their attitude, because of their own their selfish desires, their own passions, uh, they lose sight of what they're there for, and their their focus gets on themselves or on profit, possession. All of those things are involved. But they lose sight of what they were there for, the purposes of that, and as he sends in his servants to redirect them, they beat and kill them and mistreat them. He sends his son and he kills them, and then it says that he gives it, Away. Matthew's account tells us that, that Jesus specifically said that he's going to give it away to a
2: nation, to a people that produce its fruit. What a harsh and direct approach to the Pharisees, right? Jesus, Jesus came across pretty direct.
3: He just laid it right out there. You know, my my first tendency as I read through the story was to go,
2: that's right. You guys should be ashamed of yourselves. Are we a people bearing the fruit of the kingdom? Are we a people bearing the fruit of the
3: kingdom of God? We're called to be. Paul very directly um, confronts the church in Rome, in Romans 11. And we're not going to read it this morning, but he he specifically says, if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. I I think as we look at the story at this parable, we should evaluate in our own hearts and ask the question if we are we anything like them have we looked at the amazing gift of the cross, the, 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 the beauty of what Christ did? He, he says he's the vine, where the branches. We have all of this imagery in the New Testament, and it's connected to the Old Testament promises of God. And yet when Israel refused and rejected the word of the Lord, when they chose to live in rebellion and they constantly turned away from him, he at, one, at some point
2: finally cuts them off and takes salvation and, and gives it to the rest of the world, gives it to the Gentiles.
3: You and I have benefited from that, right? The world has benefited from that. That's part of what Paul says in Romans 11, is that, yes, through Israel's failure, the world has benefited, because salvation has been presented to everyone because of this. But in the midst of that passage in 11, he also warns the church to say if we repeat the same behavior, if we do the same things that Israel does, God will not spare us from the same outcome. I I think we should be very, very careful to assume that because we are the church, we can live in rebellion and in disobedience and read the word of God and ignore it and think that God will give us a pass. We've been uh, wrestling through James, right? James chapter 4, the last month on Wednesday nights. What causes quarrels and bitterness and fighting amongst you? It's our own selfish desires, and when we don't get what we want, we murder one another. Oh, adulterous generation. James is talking to the church. He's calling out the church. Aren't you guys glad we don't have bitterness and fighting and quarreling in the church anymore wouldn't that be i mean wouldn't that be horrible if we had selfish ambition and selfish desires running rampant in our church that'd be terrible because then we'd be just like james which would mean i i think that we're not far off from looking like the pharisees of their day The conviction from my heart when when I read a passage that says that the kingdom will be taken away and given to a people who produce its fruit, the challenge that I have in my heart, the question that I've been asking myself this week is, am I producing the fruit of the kingdom? Is what's being produced in my life reflected in the in what God says about who his church is, what Jesus says about who it means, who, who, what, who we are when we're following him, what it looks like for us to follow him, what Paul says in, in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, do, are those things being reflected in my life? Or are they just the stuff that I put on for Sunday morning or when I happen to run into one of you outside? That's the real question that we have to ask ourselves. What does it mean to be a nation, a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom? My conviction, personal conviction in my heart is that we want to. I want to be those people. I want to be a child of God that produces fruit. But I really wrestle with it. I really struggle with it. And when I'm left alone and unattended, my sin does not bother me. You guys, that sounds horrible, but it's true. You know how easy it is for me to keep a bad attitude when I'm by myself? There's nobody there to check it. None. We need one another. We need the body. We need to be so involved in each other's lives that we're meddling. Because otherwise, we will pursue and we'll run, I think we'd run right after the Pharisees. We'd run right after Israel as they did over and over and over again. Not because they were particularly evil people, but because they were humans just like us with a broken heart. And our, our, our flesh wages war against us, as James says, and it's a constant battle. And it's very, very easy for us to become distracted by all of these things, by everything that's going on in life and forget who the source is that's changing our hearts, that gives us hope and that gives us faith and that gives us the, the, the desire to even follow Him and to do what He's called us to do. And all that comes through Christ and all of it comes through His Word and it's not because you and I are good or, or, or better than anybody else. Isn't that encouraging? It should be encouraging to us because when I read the text and it confronts me on an issue in my sin, I'm able to look at the Lord and say, God, man, without you, I don't have any hope. Without you, I'm lost. I'm like every other broken, lost sinner in the world without Christ. But because of you, because of what you've done, I can actually stand up this morning and say, Lord, today I want to serve you. We're free to do that. Regardless of what's going on in our society, regardless, we are free to stand up and say, God, I'll serve you today, whatever the cost. And then a few minutes later I have to do it again. That's just that's the reality, of my heart. Are we of the people who are bearing the fruit of its kingdom, of God's kingdom? Or have we become so religious and so comfortable in our religion that this parable that was designed for the Pharisees and intended to spur their heart into transformation and growth would be equally laid at the feet of our practice of Christianity? Is your faith about God or is it about you? How we live is it about our comfort, our pleasures, our passions, our perspectives? Or is it about the truth of the Word of God? And have you inspected your fruit lately? And we were out looking at our cherry tree the other day, and and uh, I'm learning how to do cherries. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but I don't naturally know how to cut trees up. Um, I seem to be pretty comfortable around cars, but green things that grow, um, not not as good. And, and so... Uh, it turns out last, two years ago, I cut off first year growth. Does that mean anything to anybody? Turns out what that does, is it, make, it makes it go poof with lots of foliage. So I guess you don't do that. That's what I've been instructed. Well, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm just, I was trimming it back, trying to make it look a little better and put less green on there so we get more cherries. Well, this year we finally get cherries. The, the Last year we really didn't get any cherries at all. This year we got cherries. But because of how horribly I cut it last year, I didn't touch it this year. I thought it was doing better on its own before I helped. And so we got these little itty-bitty tiny cherries. I mean, there's like, I if, they, if the seeds were
2: any smaller, I could polish them up and use them for ball bearings in a clock. It's ridiculous how tiny these things are.
3: What's, what's the issue with the fruit? We're looking at that going... Okay, something's not right here, right? Because I know cherries. I've seen, I've seen healthy
2: cherries. I've tasted good cherries. I don't have them yet. What, what, if we don't inspect our fruit, how are we going to
3: know what we're producing, what's happening in the process? I believe that's why God gives us Scripture. That's why He
2: gives us parables. That's why we have the text to go in and look and say, man, is this us? What's our fruit look like? I really hope we're not my cherry tree.
3: have a whole bunch of leaves that look really, really good from a long ways away, but producing
2: itty-bitty sour cherries. I think that's what uh, God was saying to Israel in Isaiah. I did
3: all this for you. I set you guys up in all of these ways, and I showed up to, to check the
2: fruit, and there were supposed to be grapes there, but they were wild grapes. They were not what I planted. God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you and me. If we choose
3: to live in rebellion, if we choose to reject the word of God, if we choose to
2: willingly read it and say, nope, not for me, regardless of whether we have a cross in the front of our building or we end our prayers in Jesus' name.
3: Let's do some fruit inspection this week, you guys. We have the book. We have the manual that tells us what it looks like. And if you and I don't align with some of this stuff, then I believe that we should fall on our face and say, God, change me. Show me where I need to change. Teach me what I need to know. Prune me where it's necessary. And you cause the growth. Isn't it great that Paul and Apollos are nothing? Did you catch that? They're nothing. He Paul says we're nothing. He's one of the one of the more substantial New Testament writers and he says we are nothing. It's God who does all of this. That's where our hope is and that's what our trust is. Would you close with me in prayer and I just I want you to take just a few minutes this morning. We're going to we're going to sit here quiet for just a minute. I want you to take just a second and you ask God. Lord, is there fruit inspection that needs to be done today? Is there anywhere in my life where I've become the tenant of this parable where I think that I'm in control, that I'm in possession, that, the, that it all belongs to me and that I would reject your word? I'm going to ask you just to take a second and, and, and you pray that prayer. You talk to the Lord on your own terms this morning. Father, as I think through the, that prayer request, that, that desire to have you search my heart and to expose any of those things in me that would that would be anything familiar or similar to the Pharisees, to, to the any of the text, regardless of whether it's Jew or Gentile, all throughout Scripture, of people who reject you, who read your word and then turn around and forget. Lord Jesus, if you just made it about behavior modification, most of us would be successful. If it was just about looking like good Christians on Sunday, not cussing and, and, and not uh, being angry when anybody can see us and um, not hating our brother when it's when we're in public. Most of us would probably be successful at that religion. But you said it's about the heart. You said it's about how we what we think about and what hides within that no man can see, but you can. So I pray this morning, Lord, as we consider what it means to, to be children of God, as we request your involvement. Would you use this your spirit and your word and would you penetrate our hearts? I pray that you would expose those corners, those, the dark places that, that maybe we don't even know that we're hiding, that we're covering up at this point, but things that we have not surrendered to you, areas that we are holding on to in desperation, that we are um, maybe even rebellious in our hearts. I pray that you would expose those, you would open our eyes, open our ears, that we would see and hear from you today. And even this week as we're in your word. I thank you, God, that you are a patient, God, Don't leave us in the condition we're in. I tremble to even say it, but don't leave us comfortable and complacent. I feel like that's the most dangerous place for us. And yet, it's ultimately what I want to pray for every time I read a news article or see something on TV. God, I pray that whatever you do in this place, whatever you do in the hearts of your people here in Spokane, Idaho, God, that you would do it in such a way only you get the credit, only you get the glory. and That you would revive your church. That we would be a light to the community. That we would have boldness to sustain and to stand up under the persecution that comes when your people, Stand for your truth. God be the glory in all things. Amen.
0: Won't you join us in our final song? I have decided to follow Jesus. Cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry. Till I see Jesus my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus no turning back no turning decide now to follow Jesus will you decide now to follow Jesus will you decide now to follow Jesus no turning back no turning turning back. No turning back. Father God, we love you and we thank you for giving us your word so that we may look into what you've spoken uh, across time to so many people and uh, breathed out uh, your will and who you are. And I pray that we would pursue you through that word to know who you are, to understand um, what you've called us to be, and that uh, we would take a look at ourselves in the mirror on where we're at with you and uh, take a look at our fruits. Am I gentle? Am I kind? Am I in line with you? Am I putting away all things that are of the old man and putting on the new? And uh, continue to do that in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a good week.